Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. Hey, Nate John here, producer for the show. Just another message for you about the show for this week. Voice of San Diego staff have started working from home, like many places have. And because of that, we have a different sound going on this week, and we'll likely have different sounds in terms of where we're recording from for the coming weeks. But we are committed to bringing you the news of the week every week that we can. This podcast was recorded at... 1.25 p.m. on Thursday, March 19th. I feel obligated to tell you that now because things might have changed by the time you hear this. All right, here's the show. Okay. I'm sitting in a closet. It feels very strange. Oh, there's a lot of jackets. Yeah. Thank you for asking. There's some Christmas wrapping paper. Dope vacuum. I'm, uh, I'm under a blanket. How does this sound? Do you feel cozy? Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego, joined as always by Assistant Editor Andrew Keats. Hello, Andy. Hey, what's up, buddy? Managing Editor Sarah Libby. Hello. Hello. All right, so you may notice uh, we sound a little bit different. We are uh, still Voice of San Diego, still the Voice of San Diego podcast, but we're all, like most people, working remotely. And so we're trying some new techniques out. So bear with us there. You know, we had a interesting week from the last uh, podcast. You guys remember that, by the way, the last podcast? No, I, absolutely it not. Is so, it is so insane to me how much the world has changed since we started recording that podcast. Yeah. Until, but, but not just from then until now. Also, like how much the world changed in the one hour we were in that podcast studio. It was extraordinary. Just to review, we we had canceled our live podcast. We decided to bring Mark uh, Kersey. Which, city- which, which, let me add, when we canceled that podcast, it kind of felt like maybe we were overreacting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, we had this adorable conversation. We had a very agonized about- discussion about it. <laughs> like, I love the podcast. I- Gosh, I don't know. They say we can still do it. Um, yeah, so we have Councilman Mark Kersey come in, Eva Posner, political consultant. We talked to them. And during that hour, uh, you guys were looking at I, – I, I remember I saw Sarah looking at her phone a couple of times. You must have yeah. got the note that, that Tom Hanks had got the, the virus. I got a lot of texts about Tom Hanks while we were recording that podcast. And the NBA also suspended its season in that hour. Yeah. Yeah. So we emerged into a world that was completely different from uh, the one that we started recording in that whole Wednesday was it felt like the moment where things uh, really hit home for a lot of people. Uh, and we were we were startled. I, I, don't, I think it's fair to say the voice of San Diego staff was was rattled Wednesday evening. Yes. Yes. So. Uh, we met the next day. We uh, we got uh, got our heads together and 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 kind of made a decision that look, there's there's going to be one two ways this goes. There's going to be organizations that are either relevant right now or organizations that uh, that are just succumb to the physics of what happens. 
and we were going to try to be relevant. And I, I, you know, we're already a productive team around here, uh, the reporters and the staff, and uh, they uh, have been very impressive over many years. But uh, boy, they took uh, the mandate and went after it. And uh, I have never seen so much sustained traffic to our site over the last. Uh, you know, over the last 15 years I've been here, as I have over the last just five to six days, um, constant, or even over the weekend, late at night, early morning, there's so much interest in what we're doing. I'm hearing from friends who never pay attention, who are uh, deeply plugged in. Obviously, there's a lot of people thirsty for information. We kind of decided we would we would have two major focuses. One would be Obviously, local journalism on this stuff is more important than ever. And um, secondly, other topics didn't go away. Um, we're, they're going to be all framed and exaggerated and um, juiced by this experience and by what's happening with this virus. But uh, they're still going to be very important to cover. And so we're locked in. Uh, we're working remotely. We're doing things differently. But I'm really proud of everybody rallied. It feels like they've they've taken that purpose and run with it. But it is weird to juggle uh, the kids and uh, all of these things. I saw uh, Kristen Gaspar, the county supervisor tweet that like, hey, this isn't a break. This isn't a holiday, guys. Like you need to keep your kids in. I'm like, who thinks that this is a holiday? This is not, this is not a holiday. It's the opposite of a holiday. What is the opposite you, of a holiday? Can you imagine how this luxurious just going to work and like sitting at your desk and like doing your normal job yeah. would be? I don't think the childless realize how much of a of a respite Monday morning can be. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So relaxing to be sitting at my desk working right now. Yeah, imagine imagine a world where like you woke up you took your kids to daycare, you went to work, and at some point you walked over to a friend in the office and you said, hey, do you want to go get a cup of coffee? Oh, and man. Yeah. What a life oh, that would be. I, have we ever lived in that world? Uh, yeah, it was a thing. Like, it was a really normal thing. We just, we, Sarah and I just the other day, just the other day, walked to a lunch meeting together, yeah. strolling oh. along. Can you believe that? Like, like that. That was a thing that we did. <laughs> well, you know, as good as that sounds, an, another good thing to do is to uh, anxiety pace in the middle of your house while constantly watching yeah. for uh, up-to-date data about just how horrific the situation we're in is. So that's good, too. Yeah. Well, I'll try it. Uh, <laughs> All right, we do have more on the show. Yes, it is a global pandemic and our economy, our culture, our lifestyles have all been radically altered, if not shut down, at least temporarily. What we know so far about that, and it has happened. Barbara Bree surpassed Scott Sherman for second place in the mayoral primary. We'll talk about what's going on there and how the trend has been going since votes were uh, continually counted. Uh, that'll make for a much different uh, mayor race, mayoral race than than what we were thinking it might be, or what uh, at least a, a local newspaper thought it was definitely going to be. <laughs> and finally, things uh, uh, we're going to be working on. All right, uh, Andy. I think one of the moments that really drove it home for me not only was Tom Hanks and the NBA shutting down and and all these reports, 
but it was the report that we saw uh, self-announcement from Councilman Steve Padilla of Chula Vista. He's the, he's the chairman of the Coastal Commission as well. The Coastal Commission oversees you know, what you can build on the coast, maintains access to the coast, building a convention center or even just something on your house and you live on the coast, the Coastal Commission has a role. He is the chairman of that commission and they have a staff and everything. He has to, they meet all across the state. He goes to a, a Coastal Commission meeting, starts to get sick and, and he told you the whole story from there. Yeah, so Steve Padilla, Chula Vista Councilman, was diagnosed uh, on Saturday uh, with the coronavirus. He is the first elected official in California. Um, I talked to him Monday, and I mean, suffice to say, I mean, I think the couple things I took away from it were just what what a life a public official leads and what it can mean when they didn't realize that they had it, and he obviously had it for some number of days before he was officially diagnosed. So that included um, flying home from Santa Cruz. It included being present at a public, you know, a meeting where you're obviously going to be talking to a lot of people. It may have even meant uh, election night, which would have been included, you know, going to Golden Hall and talking to people there. Uh, he did an event as a Chula Vista councilman at the Olympic Training Center where he was, you know, hanging medals on people. Um, so just the, the level of exposure that a public official has to the public when times are normal, um, it obviously becomes immediately concerning just how many people they interact with. The other thing that really stood out, though, was how sick he is. I mean, he just he, he couldn't emphasize enough how much he could feel his body battling a very serious virus. And, and you know, I got to say, I got the sense that he, he was kind of scared. He, he didn't. He, he was not uh, comfortable with the idea that he had been diagnosed and he's young and healthy and he's probably going to be okay. He, he seemed quite scared that this was very serious. Yeah, he says in there uh, when he announced it, he did it on, on a Twitter video and he says, you know, I feel fine. I feel great. But um, when you talk to him, he's like, my body is fighting hard. He's 53 years old. So he's, you know, over 50, but he's he's. Um, Pretty healthy guy, it seems like. Uh, he says he, he has have, yeah, slight asthma. Yeah. I, I mean, that, you know, I have slight asthma and uh, I'm in my 40s. That's that really hit home. So, yeah, that, 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 and, and just, you know, to me, him being sick was an indication he hadn't been counted yet in the totals. And that was just to me an indication that this is so, so much farther beyond these numbers that we're reporting breathlessly every day in the newspaper and such like 80, I think it's up to 80 as we record this. Uh, that just doesn't seem anywhere close to reality, but it does seem like an important trajectory to keep track of. But uh, the county released that it only had 1,200 tests locally. Uh, I, don't even, I don't know if that has been updated yet, but 1,200 tests uh, for a county of 3 million people obviously does not seem adequate. Uh, there was um, more news uh, too. Uh, so we're following kind of these three areas, right? Like how does the actual healthcare system get impacted? How does um, government respond? And then the third is just how our culture and economy respond. Uh, yesterday, Wednesday evening, Gavin Newsom, the governor, said the state typically receives about 2,000 unemployment claims every day. Uh, he says two, three days ago, we saw about 40,000. And then he said 70,000. And then he said yesterday we had 80,000. It doubled in just a 48-hour period. 
obviously, this, that's the hard part with this is it feels like we're just at the dawn uh, of what uh, this experience is going to be like. I mean, I think what is clear here is that governments are being expected to come in and cushion the blow of the economic impact that's, I mean, crushing small businesses and with, with it causing many people to lose their work. And yet governments are losing, you know, huge, uh, of huge amounts of their access to, to tax revenue. And so right. they're both looked look, they're both looked at as a someone to provide a solution, but they're also victims of the of the economic crisis themselves. And so I just I don't understand quite how this is going to work, by, both in terms of maintaining any sort of service levels and um, doing anything they can to marshal some sort of relief response or stimulative response. Um, presumably, it's going to have to come in the form of some sort of bailout from the federal government to local government. Um, but we're, you know, we're still just getting to the point of understanding even what the size of the problem is, let alone what a solution that is like fit to the cause might be. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I look back at things that seemed naive or, or adorable in a way was this giant debate we had for years about how much money that hotel room tax increase Measure C on the on the March third ballot was going to provide to help with homelessness and and uh, road repair and this expansion of the convention center, well built on a hotel room tax, and hotel room taxes don't work if nobody goes to hotel rooms and it has completely ceased. Uh, I mean, it seems like it's got to be a a four to one uh, reality that Comic Con does not happen right now, um, and. I would be shocked if if somehow we reverse it then, but I, maybe we can get there. But the uh, the tourism occup or the transient occupancy tax at the city of San Diego is a major part, one of three major sources of revenue for the city, sales taxes and property taxes in addition. And um, you know if that completely dries up, that that takes a budget deficit uh, that we were facing uh, of like eighty million and makes it uh, massive and terrifying. Yeah, I mean, the city's general fund comes, you know, relies about, you know, give or take like 10% from transient occupancy taxes, hotel taxes. And like, that is basically a zeroed out revenue source right now. You know, you, you just 10% of the, of the general fund budget just takes a haircut right like that. And now sales re tax revenue maybe hasn't taken as big a hit. I mean, things like grocery stores are pr actually probably doing very well right now. Um, but I don't think anyone's buying a, uh, a washing machine or a car right now. And those sorts of big ticket goods are significant drivers of sales tax. So that's like, you know, a quarter of the, of the city's general fund budget. Now, property taxes are probably pretty stable. Um, but for another you know, agency that's going to be impacted by sales tax revenue. Transnet is already in a, in a tight spot with its, uh, with the amount of revenue it's coming in. And, you know, you could see significant amounts of that drying up over the next few months. Um, so yeah, I, you're, you're I, talking I, about the, uh, the, the half cent sales tax for the, um, roads and transit throughout the County that was already in short, like you said, 
Uh, one thing to keep in mind with that, food is not uh, subject to sales tax, right? Like there's a whole array of products. Uh, did she finally get the diapers thing in too? Like a lot of things that people are stocking up on aren't um, taxable. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's uh, in some ways it's almost, it doesn't even make much sense to cut it up, to cut up the discussion like this because the bottom line is everything has come to a halt. So any any money that goes to the government is basically that through economic activity is in big trouble right now. And it doesn't really, you know, like so one thing you and I were, were laughing about is that last week I started trying to survey different um, public agencies and pseudo public agencies to ask how things were going. And like the idea of counting which conventions had canceled at this point is is hysterical. Like right. the number the number of them that are canceled is all of them. You know? Yeah. And like, oh, like I you know, I was like monitoring a, a drop in hotel occupancy that was like from seventy seven percent to seventy percent. Now it's like there is no hotel occupancy, you know, no one's staying in hotels unless they're quarantining themselves away from their families. Yeah, I think it's, um, uh, you know, I mean, the virus was is part of the economy. It's being shared because of the economy, and that's what we're doing. We're we're shutting down the economy, uh, you know, as a way to as a way to stop the spread of the disease. So it's it's not like the stock market or whatever is reacting to some sort of fear. The stock market's reacting to the economy being shut down, and and you know that is a logical thing that the government has decided to do. That the leaders have decided to do. Public health officials. And and this is the the consequence from that. So it's going to have major effects. And it seems like we're getting closer to understanding who will be part of the effort to, to um, fix all of this or or deal with the consequence from that. From the city of San Diego's perspective, the mayor's race seems now clear. The election feels like two years ago, but it was about two weeks ago, and we were still watching every day at five p.m. The numbers come in and. Uh, of the provisional ballots. And that, uh, you know, it showed at first Scott, Councilman Scott Sherman up with a 3,000 vote lead. It kept getting chipped away at. Barbara Bree uh, finally on Monday flipped it to a nine vote lead and has since expanded it. So it looks pretty clear. Uh, obviously, uh, some kind of Hail Mary uh, of, of vote counting could flip it again, but it seems pretty clear that Councilwoman Barbara Bree will face Assemblyman Todd Gloria, two Democrats in the November general for the mayor's race. Andy, what, what do you think that would do uh, to the race? It's going to be a, a much different complexion and probably pretty fierce. Yeah, so, I mean, in one respect, this is the race we were sort of prepared for as recently as like late December before Scott Sherman got into the race at the last possible minute. And it did look for a while like he had a maybe a slight inside track to get into the to the general um, and face Todd Gloria. Um, but that wasn't actually what happened. So now we're faced with the the race that we had been preparing to pre- preparing for a year ahead of that. Um, the difference is now the entire complexion of the race has changed. It's going to be a race between Todd Gloria and Barbara Bree making a case about who can best handle this crisis that's going to face city, the city government and what, you know, what the economy needs, what the city can do to help the economy, uh, what, what the city can do to, to maintain services with all the budget revenues it's leaving. I mean, 
it's it's kind of interesting to think about just how different the the major issues of the race were uh, a week ago compared to where they are now. I mean, yeah, like will scooters and Airbnb and that building downtown will they matter? I mean, I I suppose you know mismanagement will still be a competence you know test. Those kinds of things will still be, an issue, but it does feel like some of these. Um, you know, major issues are are going to be um, just have a much different complexion, and not just the issues, but also like the actual physical dynamics of running a campaign. I mean, uh, we just don't have any idea what it's going to look like in terms of you know they're used to being so visible in the community and going from event to event every single day. And you, I mean, you saw what Steve Pidia's day looked like uh before he was diagnosed and so just trying to imagine a mayor's race in which it's you know perhaps like almost entirely virtual and conducted over email communications and things like that is pretty hard to wrap your mind around yeah and uh to the extent that one of the benefits of getting an endorsement from the labor council and the democratic party is that those two entities historically have run good ground campaigns and turn out the vote operations that involve going door to door. Um, I don't know. Is that an activity that's going to be taking place in the fall going door to door with, with mm. an alien to hand out, you know? No. Yeah. I, I hadn't really contemplated the, the impact that you just described, but absolutely. Like, you know, it seems like at that point, the big macro physics of a, of a situation like this play much bigger, like t- name recognition, money you can spend on, on commercials, uh, you know, all kinds of, of sort of big ways you can reach people. Tech savviness uh, are all going to be more important. And if you're, if you're banking on kind of rallying people in small coffees and fundraising opportunities with small groups, like you're going to really switch and, and build a, a truly digital infrastructure uh, maybe unlike anything we've seen for a local race like this. So uh, that's a really good point. I, I, all of these small coffees that they all relied on, these, these handshaking, you know, extravaganzas, that's all over for, you know, at least till midsummer, it seems like. I also just wonder what, like, um, how different things might be if you're doing most of your communicating in an online format. We saw, you know, one of the most provocative moments of the campaign up to now was Barbara Breeze, they're coming for our homes email. And then when she was confronted about that type of messaging in person, she seemed to back off a little bit and try to say, oh, well, that's not what I meant. This I just meant this very specific um, innocuous message. And so if it's all being done in a format in which you're not really like confronted face to face, I feel like it could have the potential to get a lot uglier. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, and to the extent that Barbara Bree in a lot of ways did drive the narrative um, of the campaign. And I think she did. It, it wasn't because, because of things she was saying at, uh, you know, meet and greets over coffee. It was, it was the, exactly. sort of, yeah, the blasted out stuff through uh, social media or email. Um, the other thing I would say is, uh, and maybe maybe people will celebrate this change, but San Diego mayoral elections have a long history of basically every group in town 
hosting their own uh, community forum and the candidates sort of going on this like barnstorming tour all over the city with lunch forums and evening forums and, you know, sometimes 10, 15 forums in a given week where they basically each say the same things to slightly different groups of 20 or 25 people. Um, I, I don't know that those events are going to take place in, in this, in this climate either. So, you know, the, the time of every Elks Lodge and, uh, um, neighborhood group and, uh, town council being able to host their own mayoral forum, those might give way to just a, a smaller amount of mass broadcast forums, um, as a, a huge number of, you know, mid-sized community gatherings. Yeah. Well, we are going to be following all of these things deeply. This is an unprecedented moment for a lot of people. I've been asking a lot of older folks if they've ever seen anything like this, and and they never have. Uh, so local journalism, I think, is is going to be as important as it ever has been. And we promise to be as relevant and as interesting as possible. Uh, we continue to need your support. If you support w- what our reporters are doing, please go to voiceofsandiego.org slash donate. And uh, we'll pledge to, to make sure that uh, we're constantly providing public service journalism that matters. Um, and if you have any tips, if you're a healthcare worker, a business struggling, uh, anything like that, you can always let us know. You can me, Scott, at voiceofsandiego.org. That's Scott at voiceofsandiego.org. You can do that with Sarah's name or with Andy. Yeah, and you can also send anything to info at voiceofsandiego.org. We've also got a form up. I think a really good piece that's gotten a lot of uh, traction has been our guide to the guidance. You can just search Void Voice of San Diego guide to the guidance uh, that's been coming out. And there's a form there you can fill out. Anyway, we want to hear from you. What do you want to know about what's going on? Uh, what do you want investigated? And what have you been hearing? All right. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast. It is the, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in part in downtown San Diego, part in Sarah's closet, part in Andy's whatever room. Uh, We're going to keep up the coverage of this coronavirus. Subscribe to uh, our newsletters at bosd.org slash newsletters to get our insights and everything else. The Morning Report is the place to be right now. Uh, It's the best way to follow everything that's happening. And if you haven't seen it yet, we are constantly updating that official Voice of San Diego guide to the guidance about the coronavirus. That's at our homepage, and you can also find it at vosd.org slash corona. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief. Andrew Keats, the Assistant Editor, Sarah Libby's Managing Editor, and this show was produced by Nate John, Megan Wood, and Adrian Hillis, and recorded, at least partly, in the podcast studio, which is sponsored by Bob Nelson Charitable Fund. Thank you so much to him and to all of our supporters. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. It was very hot under my blanket. I was not happy about under there. <laughs>